Galatians 2, page 1174 of your pew Bibles. <clears throat> we have the history of the apostles Paul and Peter in this chapter. The conduct of the apostles as proof of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Here now the reading of God's holy word, Galatians 2, starting at verse 1. Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that, because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James... Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation." But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, 
am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from Galatians chapter 2. A very rich passage. I'll try to be as quick as I may. Galatians 2 verses 1 through 10, we have Paul's journey to Jerusalem, 14 years after the events described in chapter 1 and how he behaved himself at that time. One major point to make. Paul communicates the gospel that he preached to Peter, or Cephas, to James, and to John. Was there any dispute about the gospel that he preached? None whatsoever. Everyone agreed as to the contents of the gospel. This is important because ungodly men who pretend even to be Reformed or Christians will say, there's a doctrine of Paul, there is a doctrine of Peter, and there is a doctrine of James, and they're not the same. That is false, universally ungodly and wicked. The scriptures teach that there is one God and one doctrine and one way of salvation, and it doesn't matter which apostle you heard it from, it's the same truth. Now, notice, he communicated unto them in verse 2 the gospel that he preached among the Gentiles. Paul, a slave and apostle of Christ, reading, writing, preaching. But notice when he wrote, he wrote infallibly what God spoke through him. And yet, he subjects himself to the authority of his brethren in the ministry. He's not above going to them and saying, am I right or am I wrong? because I don't want to have preached the gospel or go later to preach the gospel, and it's not the gospel. There are no kings, there are no lords in the church, but we are all brethren. There may be different functions. Some may teach and some may learn. Some may minister, some may be ministered unto, but we are all brethren in the Lord. Even Paul, he went privately to those who were of reputation, This appears to be what happened in the book of Acts, chapter 15, not recorded there, but recorded here. Part of his travels there was to confirm, am I preaching the right gospel? Is this the truth? And when he went, he took Titus, that's not mentioned in Acts either, but Titus went with him and Titus was not circumcised. And guess who didn't say he needed to be or observe all the Mosaic statutes? The apostles said no such thing. It was the false brethren, pseudadelphus, the lying, professing believers who are not, in fact, believers. And notice, Paul says that they intended to do one thing, bring us into bondage. That was not their personal psychological intention. That was the intention of their action. You must be justified by keeping the ceremonies of Moses. You must obey law in order to justification. You must be circumcised after the manner of Moses or you cannot be saved, they said. There is no salvation without obeying these statutes. 
Now, the Apostle Paul goes from the particular statutes of circumcision and all the laws of Moses, and we'll see he draws us up to any law whatsoever. Moral, Christian, ceremonial, mosaic, natural. You are not justified by law, he will say. But they brought into bondage. Not all professions of faith in Christ are true. Some are false. Now, there are a handful of tests in the New Testament. How do you know if a person actually believes in Christ? Well, one of them is, do they actually believe the gospel, the good news? That sinners are justified by faith in Jesus Christ without works of law. Do they believe that? Because false brethren do not believe that. Let us examine ourselves. Do we hold the apostolic tradition in Scripture? Or the perverse thoughts of men, how I feel about it or you feel about it or men in the past thought or felt about it. We must hold fast to the truth of God. Notice verse 6. In light of this truth of God, whatsoever they were, that is the apostles, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's persons. Now, Martin Luther says the word person includeth the whole outward conversation of the apostles, which was holy, and their authority great. Yet saith he, God esteemeth not these things, not that he esteemeth them not at all, but in the matter of justification he regardeth them not, be they never so great and glorious. Peter could be a glorious and holy man, But when it comes to the doctrine of justification by faith and the glory of God in the gospel, it doesn't matter that he's a holy apostle. What matters is the truth of God. They added nothing to him, he says in verse 6, but there was a giving of fields of labor primarily to Peter for those who were circumcised, that is the Jews. And there was also a primary labor of Paul among the Gentiles. Now, did Peter preach to the Gentiles? Yes. In fact, he went to Cornelius, the first major conversion among the Gentiles through Peter's preaching. Did Paul preach to the Jews? Yes. But that's not the primary calling that they had. Then we see in uh, verses 11 through 21, Paul's confrontation of Peter at Antioch and the grand doctrine of justification by faith in Christ without law works, as the theme of this letter. Notice verse 11, the apostle Paul withstood Peter to the face because he was to be blamed. He didn't go around behind his back. He spoke to him, frankly, face to face, before everyone, he says. He was to be blamed. He was to be condemned or judged as guilty. Again, Luther says, if, or excuse me, in that we love our parents, honor the magistrates, show reverence to Peter and other ministers of the word, we do well. But here we have in hand the cause neither of Peter nor of parents, but of God himself. Here, if I give no place to these or to an angel from heaven, I do well. In other words, you may concede your own rights, but you may not concede God's. Peter was to be blamed, be he never so holy and authoritative. Had he never so much time with Jesus Christ, made that glorious confession that he was the Son of God, restored after his fall, 
The Spirit coming through him on Pentecost, it does not matter. It doesn't mean anything to God in terms of the doctrine of justification. Let us live before the face of God and not fear men. Let us honor each other in whatever place or relation, but when it comes to the truth of God, we must not budge one iota. Jesus said, you must hate your father and your mother if you're to be worthy of him. Don't go around bashing them, hating them. But when it comes to decision time and it says, follow mom and dad or follow Jesus Christ, you better get rid of mom and dad and you better follow Jesus Christ. Notice, what did Peter do? He did eat with the Gentiles, verse 12. Remember this? He went in to an uncircumcised man, Cornelius, and ate with him. Now he's at Antioch. He does the same thing until what? Some come from Jerusalem, these false brethren, to spy out their liberty in Christ. And what does Peter do? Does he stand fast as he did in chapter 11 of the book of Acts? As he did in chapter 15 of the book of Acts? Does Peter stand? No. He falls. He withdrew, it says, and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. This word withdrew means to retreat. You're in the heat of battle. The general is leading his men. Peter is the general. He's there leading the men in battle. And then an enemy comes. And what does he do? He runs off the field. He makes a retreat. What do the rest of the soldiers do? They run off the field as well. Even Barnabas is carried away with this hypocrisy, he says. So now you're telling the Gentiles that they have to live as the Jews. You who are by nature a Jew who lived as a Gentile, now you say they have to live as Jews. Does that make sense? That they have to Judaize, that's the verb that Paul creates there in verse 14 or uses there. To behave in the manner as a Jew is to Judaize. Magnates are magnets. Peter, a teacher and apostle in the church, draws others as a magnet draws steel to himself. We, he says, we're Jews by nature. We're the natural branches. That's true, Peter. We're not like the Gentiles who are cut off from God by nature, sinners of the Gentiles, profane, wild olive branches. But we know one thing, and actually Peter taught this. We're not justified by doing things that law requires. Now just a note here, verse 16, a couple of notes. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. In English, we use that word the to point to a particular thing, and the same could be said in Greek. The presence of the article in Greek identifies something. The absence of the article qualifies a thing. What are the qualities, the characteristics, the attributes of a thing? What is the characteristic of work? Well, it's something that is done. It's exertion of energy to accomplish a task. Ergos is the Greek word. What is the characteristic of law? Law commands and requires by authority that you do what you're told. That's what law does, right? So he's not talking about some particular law or some particular works. Oh, you're not justified by the works of the law. You're justified by the works of the gospel. Do you know who teaches that? The Church of Rome. 
You're not justified by circumcision. You're justified by baptism. You're not justified by the Passover. You're justified by the sacrament of the mass, they say. Is that what he's saying? No, he says by works of law. Any works of any law. Law as law, work as works, none of them justify. The absence of the article qualifies in this case. That's one thing to note. No law at all can justify a sinner. No work done in obedience to that law. But the other thing to notice is this. We are not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Does that mean Jesus' faith? Does that mean the works that the law performs? Well, of course not. That's absurd. Laws don't perform works. Who performs works? People do. Humans do, right? Humans who do works in obedience to law versus humans who have faith directed to Jesus himself. That's the difference there. It's not the the faith of Jesus as if Jesus is the possessor of the faith. No, he is the object of the faith. Just as the works of law have their object in the law itself, I'm doing these in subservience to some authoritative commands. Neither will justify those works of the Old Testament or the New. They will not justify. All that justifies is the hearing of faith, as we'll see in chapter 3. Believing the gospel as it's preached concerning the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what justifies. And that's what he says. He's pointing out to Peter, we should not compel men to act as the Judaizers who say you must live as a Jew if you would be saved. You must obey law in order to be saved. No, that's not correct. A man is not justified by the works of the law. It is only by believing in Christ and him alone. It is only to the glory of God alone. It is not by obeying the Ten Commandments. It's not by keeping the Sabbath. It's not by singing the Psalms. It's not by honoring your parents. It's not by saving up and working hard. None of those things justify. Are some of those good things? Well, yes. Anything God commands us is a good thing. And simply because the law does not justify means nothing about its usage in other ways. But it cannot make us right before God. We must beware of those Christianized Judaizers. Oh, uh, you, you don't need to be circumcised in order to be saved. You need to be baptized in order to be saved. And without baptism, you cannot be saved. Oh, really? No, that's not true. That is not the case. We are not justified by New Testament law any more than they were not justified by Old Testament law. Therefore, we must rejoice in our Savior Jesus Christ and rest in Him alone. You and I, he says, Peter, we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. You remember Peter said this, didn't he? Acts 15, 11, at the Jerusalem council. But we believe, this is Peter, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Not by keeping law, not by doing things to please God, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy that we're saved. Clement of Rome, bishop of the church of Rome in the second century said this, And we too 
being called by his will in Christ Jesus, are not justified by ourselves, nor by our own wisdom, or understanding, or godliness, or works, which we have wrought in holiness of heart, but by that faith through which from the beginning Almighty God has justified all men. Abraham was justified not by works, not by his godliness, not by holiness in heart expressed in deeds. No. How was he justified? By the hearing of faith. By that faith through which God has justified all who have been justified. Do not look to yourself for justification. Do not look to your wisdom or understanding of the scriptures or even of the shorter catechism or the reformed faith. Do not seek and rest in your worship of God, your fear of God, your reverence for his name, your works done in holiness of heart. Rather look to Jesus and to him alone. He alone is the proper object of our faith to be just before God. But notice the Judaizers have an objection, verse 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found uh, sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? This is Romans 6 all over again. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You're seeking to be justified by Christ, but you're still a sinner. You haven't perfected holiness, Paul, and therefore your doctrine of justification leads men to be loose and careless sinners. Christ, you make him into the minister of sin who encourages us to sin by saying we're not justified by our works. This is the same objection of the Christianized version of Judaizing. The Church of Rome, they encapsulated this in their so-called infallible decrees of the Council of Trent and said, if you believe you're justified by faith alone, go to hell. That's what they said. Everyone who teaches it, who believes it, who embraces it, go to hell, anathema, on all you people who believe the gospel. And every single one of you who thinks that you can go on and sin all you want because you're justified by faith alone. Oh, I've heard that somewhere. You know, it's in the Bible. Yeah, it's Paul condemning these rogues and false brethren. That's where it's in the Bible. We believe that we are justified by believing in Christ alone. That does not mean that we don't believe that God also works sanctification. Paul says the same thing, verse 18. For if I build again the things which I destroyed... I make myself a transgressor. I destroyed sin by preaching to you the gospel. You were justified by believing in Jesus. Does that encourage you to sin? Does that say it's okay to continue in sin that grace may abound? Not at all. God forbid, he says. Christ is not the minister of sin. The Judaizers of that day and ours still continue to object, and the truth does not change. It is unshaken. There is a twofold righteousness imputed by faith alone in Christ alone. What Christ has done for us, that's the gospel of imputed righteousness. And there is an imparted righteousness by the power of God's Spirit worked in us. In this second righteousness... Of course, we don't build again the kingdom of sin in it. 
We pull down every high thing and every imagination. We put to death the old man and put on the new. This is sanctification, not to be confused with justification, but nor to be separated from it. Notice there verse 19. He's going to explain how do justification and sanctification fit together. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, so that I can live however I want, so that I might live unto God. Remember the old husband, the law? Remember how you're united to him by nature? You're under that covenant, that marital covenant of law, do this and live, don't do this and die. And how Jesus, through his body being crucified upon the cross, he caused us, not the law, to be put to death, but we are put to death so that we might live unto God. Verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. There is the work of Christ done for me upon the cross, and the implication is what he does in me, in my life. I live this life by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wait, Paul, are you telling us he only died for you? Of course not. He died for all of the elect. He died for everyone that God had chosen in eternity past. Everyone to whom the Holy Spirit communicates effectually the grace of God. Why say me, Paul? So that you and I could say the same thing. Jesus didn't just love some people out there in the ether floating around in the skies. He loved me. He loved you. He gave himself for you, for your specific sins, for your specific salvation. Christ loved individuals, particular persons. He gave himself for them, for you and for me. That's why he says me, so that we may see the atonement personalized, applied directly to the conscience and to the soul. Therefore, I say to you, apply it to yourself. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Then he died for you, for your specific sins, to cleanse you from your deeds, your thoughts, and your words against his divine majesty. And therefore, I say, you must confess particular sins. Many people will confess, yeah, I'm not that great of a person. But will they confess, I lied about you? No. Many people are content with a general idea of sin. Yeah, I'm kind of a sinner. Well, tell me, how is it that you sin? Well, I can't think of any way. I'm not that bad of a person. Yes, you are. Your particular sins are what put Christ upon the cross. Therefore, you must confess your sins particularly, not generally. Sometimes we can't remember. That's fair. But when you remember the particulars, you must confess them specifically. Then notice verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. This is all theoretical, by the way. This is all doctrinal. Can you frustrate the grace of God? No. But you can do it in theory. 
You can do it in the doctrinal way. If your doctrine of God's grace is synergistic, that is that man and God cooperate to justify man, you have frustrated the grace of God. That's true, in the doctrinal way. And what is more, you have asserted that righteousness comes by law. By doing what law commands, whatever law you want to put in the place. If that law justifies, you're justified by that law. Righteousness comes through that. Is that the case? Well, in a doctrinal way, yes. In reality, is that the case? No, it's impossible. Did Christ die in vain? No, of course not. Not in reality. But in a doctrinal way, in a theoretical way, could Christ die in vain? Yes. If you assert that there's cooperation and justification by law works, plus by faith, believing in Jesus, you have a Christ who died to no purpose, without any reason. If God could have justified by works of law, why did he send his son? There's no point in the crucifixion of Christ if we are justified by some form of semi-Pelagian cooperation with the grace of the gospel. And thus far, the explanation of the word of Almighty God from Galatians 2.